Welcome to Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston. Here's where I get to talk to amazing people from all over the world who are making a positive impact and discuss topics in every single area of life. The sky's the limit. Some might be a little controversial, but eh, we don't shy away from them because everyone I speak to is coming from a good space. So it's an opportunity to learn a lot and expand your mind. Hello. I'm so excited about today. I know I've been telling you I have an awesome guest coming on. Well, they're all awesome, but I've been really excited about this one. And this awesome inspired guest is Liz Wallace. But before I introduce you to her, let me tell you something about the woman. I feel like I know her. I feel like I stalked her, but that's a whole nother story. Liz Wallace is the author of The Ambition Decisions, What Women Want to know about work, family, and the path to building a life. This was awesome. I didn't know about it, and I'm so excited about it now. Wallace worked for over a decade as an editor at a fashion magazine, including Vogue, Lucky. Oh, these are my favorite magazines. Nylon, In Style, Seventeen, and Us Weekly. Oh, she's been busy. She is now a freelance writer who contributes regularly to Architectural Digest and Domino and has been published in many awesome publications. In addition to her work in editorial content, Wallace collaborates on advertising campaigns and brand and content for fashion, automotive, healthcare, food and spirits, and financial clients. Ooh, it's going to be lots of fun. Liz, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, Sandy. Thank you so much for having me. I am good. It's fall in New York City, arguably the best. That's right. So um, it's a beautiful day. I can't complain. I was just in New York. I love it. I love when it when it's rainy. It's gross because you have to walk everywhere. Totally. But mud and and when there's snow, it's terrible when it snows here. But but the two weeks the two weeks in the middle of October are are perfect usually. I know, and today's probably perfect there, right? It's really nice. It's unseasonably warm, but that's a whole other conversation. Okay, now where do you live in New York, though? I'm in Brooklyn. Um, oh. Where um, I shouldn't say all, but where the good food is and the good architecture and ideas. Um, and also a lot of greenery, a lot of beautiful parks too. Yeah, a bunch of my friends, like I go to New York at least once a month, Liz, but a lot of my friends are in Brooklyn. So I know Brooklyn well. All right, so here we go. I was looking up everything you've done and oh my, oh my, and I love the path that you have taken. But I really want my listeners to get to know a little bit about you. So if we could, let's back up before the book, when you were the editor to all these magazines. How did you do all that? Like, how do you do that for so many magazines? Well, Sandy, I started at Northwestern University at the Medill School of Journalism. I graduated from there and I knew I wanted to go into publishing from a very young age, but I actually started my career in Chicago at a newspaper and then moved to DC and worked for a trade newsletter for the pharma industry. And, and, I ended a relationship and I knew that that was the time I really wanted to move to New York. And that was over 20 years ago. And I, I, um, I picked up the phone and I dialed the job listing site back then. It was, it was not, it was not done on the internet. (laughs) I had a dial up phone and I, and I called this job listing service uh, through my alumni and there was a job for an editorial assistant at Vogue. And I thought, I, you know, I really want to work in magazines and I've always wanted to work in 
New York City, and I live in DC already. It's not that big of a jump. And I don't really know anything about fashion, but I'm just going to apply anyway. And so I sent my resume, and the HR department called me the next day and said, "Can you come up to New York and have an interview?" Um, I knew somebody. I knew somebody who worked there who had lived in the same apartment building as me. Yeah. And I took a day off, took the train up, had the interview. And by the end of the day, I was staying at my friend's apartment in Soho and the recruiter called me and said, we'd like to offer you the job at Vogue as an assistant. And I, and I remember saying to her, can you repeat that one more time? Cause I feel like this <laughs> is going to be a life changing one for me and I'm going to want to, I want to hear it again. So she said, Liz, we'd like to offer you a job at Vogue magazine. So I packed up all my stuff and about 10 and about 10 days later, I drove up in a U-Haul with another friend who was serendipitously moving here. And, um, you know, when you work at Vogue, it's kind of, whether you know anything about fashion or not, at that time, this was in 97, and it was kind of like going to graduate school for magazine journalism, except I took a salary, not a big one, mind you, but I took- No, no, I get it. You know, instead of paying to go to Columbia, I was working at Condé Nast. And so I worked there for about two and a half years. And, um, and then- and then from there, a lot of doors, you know, a lot of doors really open when you have a yeah. resume. And so I worked at a, at a startup fashion magazine after that as a managing editor. And that was called Nylon, which is it actually just recently folded its print edition, but it still has a, it still has a website around. Yeah. And that's been around, you know, now forever and has, has done really well and is an independent fashion magazine. And so, you know, sort of every every job I gained new skills and mm-hmm. contacts and those and those jobs opened doors to other jobs. And so after a while, you know, it was it's not that big of a magazine world and everybody kind of starts to know everybody and I would just get another job and another one, you know, and it was kind of move up the masthead. And uh, sort of the apex of that was when I worked at Lucky, I was the deputy editor and I was editing about top editing about half the magazine and that was in uh, that was in 2010. Oh, um, the financial crisis was happening, and the magazine was sort of in upheaval. And my boss was let go, and there was uh. a transition of staffs there. And I and I left then, and that was my last full time job. But I've been freelancing ever since, and so that was how I got in out, you know, sort of out of magazines and more into branded content and advertising and different kinds and different kinds of digital content. But I've been, you know, I've done, I've gotten like 20 new clients in the last several years um, of working outside of just magazines. And I love magazines, but, you know, it's uh, it's an industry that's changed so many, yeah. so many have folded and there's not a lot of money for advertising anymore. So um, we are in an industry of constantly reinventing ourselves as editors and writers. And I had wanted to write a book for so long and... In 2013, my writing partner, who was an old friend from college, she reached out to me, and we started we started working on this together. and And it was it was a three year undertaking. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, so um, so the magazines the magazines kind of paved the way for writing this book. But um, and I still and I still do magazine work, and I still write for print magazines, just not as many because there aren't as many anymore. Um, but it was yeah. such a it was such a fun and exciting career, and it's. Um, it's one that has shifted so much and it still is fun and exciting, but it's a, it's a completely different career now, you know, as, as, yeah. a, lot of, as a lot of careers have shifted. You know. Well, can, can we, <laughs> I find this fascinating and 
You know, Liz, I know a lot of people in the publishing business just because of, you know, also, you know, writing a book and stuff. And I know how much it's changed. But what I feel from you, which I love, is you were able to bob and weave and, like you said, shift yourself and reinvent yourself, which I think we all need to do to stay current instead of getting sad and depressed. And a lot of people I talk to when I go up there they're just so sad. Like they want it to go back the way publishing used to be and magazines used to be. And it's not going that way. You know, it's not going back. It's um, that's true. And you know, it's hard not to say that, not to say that I haven't had, haven't had hard days where, where I was sad or depressed or despairing about the industry. And, you know, you could could go, you could take a room of of former magazine editors and go to the Royalton hotel bar and, um, and grieve about it for hours and hours over several months. (laughs) That being said, you know, you, you don't really have a choice. You have to, you have to pivot your career unless you yeah. have a career to end. And the, the exciting thing about it is, is that there are more opportunities, you know, every day for new kinds of content. You have to be, you have to be willing and open to produce that kind of content and to shift your skill set into, into new sort of avenues and, and new outlets but the, the skills have not changed, you know, have not changed that much. It's all transformational. Yeah. Um, but there's so much, there's so much in your attitude that has to, that has to support. I agree. Happen. You know what I mean? You have to. I do. Constantly, you have to constantly be networking, which I know, um, which I know is a huge part. I imagine that's a huge part of your career and your work as well. But it's so important that every, every person you meet, at a cocktail party or coffee, or even, you know, at the gym, I've, I've gotten, I've gotten jobs through people that I've met through my children's school. I've gotten jobs through people I've met at the gym. I'm I'm not kidding. You know, there's, there's there's so many ambitious and um, connected people around you. There's so many opportunities every day that you, you have to be you have to be open. open yeah. Yeah. And, and also active about pursuing them. You know, you can't, it's not a, it's not a job market where you can afford to be complacent. It's not, work is not, work is not going to come to you as a former magazine editor. You really have to, you really have to kind of hit the pavement and by, you know, by the pavement, I mean, you, you look online and you meet people and you email people and you follow up with them, but there's, you know, literally every, every brand out there today is in some need of of content creation, you know, or of content. Absolutely. Absolutely. Create that content. Right. So, and that's what we all do. And that's what I've been doing for decades now. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a a fast moving industry and fast iterating one, but, but, but we we don't have a choice, but to evolve with it, you know? Yeah. Well, I like that you said that because, I'm thinking of all the different women that I've interviewed and the ones, you know, I really feel inspired by. And when you're coming first out of college, you're right. Things, you know, are exactly the way they are right now. They haven't changed on you. You're all brand new. And this is what you came into. But like you said, women that are maybe 35 or 40 or over in business, no matter what, like my industry has changed drastically. And if I didn't, pivot and like you said you know not stay the same like you there's no way can you can imagine (laughs) as a mom and pop business i have one i have a business partner and that's it competing in the world of the fitness now think about what it was when i first opened my first gym in 1993 and it was the world was my oyster now i'm in center city philadelphia 
and I could just breathe and another gym opened up. Do, do you know what I mean? And so it is hard. And it, like you said, we could all sit and, you know, get drunk and margaritas thinking about, holy moly, the fitness industry has changed. But the ones that have survived it is they figured out how to carve their niche, what makes them unique, what what makes them passion, what makes them stand out. And they network and make the right contacts. Because you're right, my gym, I said, I want a commission, baby, because I'm right in the corporate setting. So it's almost 90% business people. Business deals go down every minute, Liz, every minute. I believe it right there. Well, and Sandy, I was thinking about, think about how much the fitness industry has changed due to Instagram alone and Insta fitness personalities. It's a whole, yep. whole different world than it was, you know, in, in even, even 10 years ago, it, it's, it's really unbelievable. And yep. uh, so, yeah, but the, but the, that the opportunity to the, the, the necessity really of, the nece- I like that necessity. Right? Yes. Defining of defining what makes you uniquely you and what can you bring? Because there's room there's room for, you know, there's not, there's not room for everything in every type of business, but there's room for a lot. And one, one thing opening doesn't ensure another thing closing, but, but the, but the, but the pathways of traveling, um, through your business kind of have to have to be rethought a little bit and expanded. For yeah. Sure. And that's what every industry almost, I mean, I can't, there isn't one person I haven't spoken to that doesn't think, it's drastically changed because it has. And a lot of it is, like you said, it's because of social media and almost every business is affected by that. And it's not like it was, like you said, you, what did you do? Pick up the phone or send it in the mail for when you went to apply to the magazines in New York. I mean, it's, it's I crazy. Fax my resume. Fax. Oh my God. Fax. That's right. Last time you used a fax machine. I'm not kidding. So yeah, it's, um, it's a, it's a crazy world, but also, also, the level of connectivity that you can have with, with people that were a stranger to you. Yes. Like what we're, you know, what what we're experiencing right now, somebody who was a stranger to you yesterday that you can have, that you can, that you can develop an intimate connection through all this connectivity in the world is also really, it's also really astounding and and kind of awesome in, in the way that it makes, it makes the potential seem so much bigger than, than what was before. I agree because like I got to like when I was looking you up, if there wasn't all of this, I felt like I I knew you before we even spoke. You know, I got to watch your interviews. I got to read your book. Do you know what I mean? And that never was possible before. Totally. And I was like, oh, I'm going to really like her. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sandy. (laughs) Anyhow. All right. Well. Let's get into now. I'm, oh, you won't believe it. I'm so bummed, Liz. So I thought I was going to be away. And so I didn't apply to go to the conference here in Pennsylvania. And then I'm like, well, you know what? Now that I'm not going to be away, I should go. It's sold out. Sold out. <laughs> I, I know um, my, uh, we're, we're actually speaking at the, in addition to the Pennsylvania one, we're speaking at the Texas one, and my stepmother lives not far from where it's going to be in Austin. And I, oh. I emailed her about it like two months ago, and she said, "Oh, I already looked it up. It's sold out." I mean, it was. Sold- oh yeah, it sells. It sells out way in advance because I go almost every year, and it sells out way in advance. So bugger. Well, good for you. I'm really excited, and it's going to be it's going to be huge. And Sandy, we're going to be speaking to a room of a thousand people, which is which is pretty unbelievable. I've not speaking. I've not spoken to a group that large before. And I'm really excited 
It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I, I've been to them and they're really warm and they're really welcoming. So you're going to love it. You're going to love it. The group, the women are there. They're excited. They're all about inspiring other women and lifting other women up. So I'm really, really excited for you. And that's like next Friday, isn't it? Yes, next Friday. I know. All right. So if anybody is going and you're one of the lucky people to get a ticket, do you know your time slot or when you're going on? Oh my gosh. I should have prepared that, um, Sandy. No, no, no. We can put it on. Don't worry. I I just wondering. I think we're on at 11 um, Friday morning. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's only one day. All right, cool. No, I'm excited for you. All right, so now let's talk about the book. I know I did read, you know, how you hooked up with Hannah, and I'm not sure how you came up with this idea, but wasn't it first, like, just interviews that you wanted to interview these women? Yes. So, like I was saying, in back in 2013, my then was not my writing partner. She was a friend from college and we both both lived in Brooklyn and we would see each other maybe once a year. And we both had, had been partnered and had kids by that time, two kids. And she reached out to me and said, you know, she just, she just turned 40. And she said, Uh yeah, she said, um, Hey Liz, um, I'm not, I'm not sure I might be having a midlife crisis or I have an idea for a documentary film. And, um, I would love to talk to you about it. And I'm wondering if you're kind of in a weird transitional place in your life too. And I wrote back right away. And and I guess I said to her, tell me about your midlife crisis in a nut graph, which is an old journalism term that was a, that was a subhead of a subhead in newspapers that was basically telling the whole story in, in one and a half sentences. And so, oh, okay. So I said, you know, tell me about your midlife crisis in a nut graph, like a small paragraph basically. And I told her that I, I too was in a bit of a midlife crisis and that we realized we were both struggling and we, here we had graduated from this prestigious university and we had both had these careers that were by the outside looks of it pretty enviable. And we were partnered and had children and our children were healthy and life should have been amazing and we should have been killing it in our careers and yet we both felt like things had stalled a little bit and we weren't really sure entirely why. And so we got together and we did have a drink and we talked about it and we started talking to a couple of other women that we went to college with about it as well. And we thought, you know, that, that group of women that we graduated from college with was really ambitious and they all were going to graduate and set the world on fire. And we thought some of them are going to be Fortune 500 execs, and one of them really will be on the Supreme Court, and somebody else is going to be, you know, in in a cabinet. And so we started interviewing them. We talked to a couple of people in person, and then we started interviewing people by Skype. And we asked them, when you got to college, what was your dream, and how did that work out? And the stories that we heard were so relatable and interesting and had so much crossover for these women who most of them hadn't talked to each other in over 20 years. And they were scattered all over the country and beyond. Four of them lived outside the country for over 10 years. And what we heard was so interesting that we decided we had to write something about it. And we ended up, we ended up analyzing all of our interviews. Well, we first ended up interviewing everyone from, our graduating class in our sorority. And we interviewed 43 women via Skype. And we ended up writing a series that we published in the Atlantic in December, 2016, 
about ambition and it was titled the ambition interviews and oh. yeah and you may you may have seen that sandy and the interview yep. the, the ambition interviews was a seven essay series and that did well for the atlantic and it went viral and we we, we got so much positive feedback from the series that we said, you know, there's, we think there's, we're, there's something more here. We have to, we have to push on and do more interviews and we actually need to do more analysis on this. And so we got together and we did do more interviews and we wrote a book proposal and we, we sold the book that following May after we published the original series in December yeah. and then, um, and then published the book this past June, just a couple months ago, this, this past, I month. know it's exciting. So yeah, so that was so that was how that came together. That basically, it started as a midlife crisis, as many as many things <laughs> do. And and this this book was a way of of us researching and thinking and honestly writing our way out of that midlife crisis and, and yeah, answered well, some existential questions we had. You know, it that's. <laughs> I know it sounds, I'm going to like a simplify it, but the things that are most rewarding, and I don't just mean financially, it's usually out of a need for yourself. Like you don't see it in the world. You want to look for it or you need to be inspired. And by doing this, it sounds like amazing and beautiful because you were inspiring yourself and you're inspiring them and you're inspiring so many others that no matter what the outcome, it was an amazing win-win. You know, it, it sounds like you must have really, really loved sitting and listening to these people. We really did. Um, and thank you for pointing that out. It was such a personal project. And one of our interviewees, and, and these were all these were all college friends. We've known them all since we entered college freshman year. And one of our friends at the end of our third time interviewing her, she said, you know, talking to you guys is like being in group therapy. You know, I, I have to like <laughs> yeah. rest for a couple hours after I talk because we, we gave all of these women hours to answer the question, like, really, how are you doing in the world today? And what we realized is that there were not a lot of, there were not a lot of places that were saying, how are you 40 something year old woman who has kids and, and a job? <laughs> and it's like a lot. How are you doing? You know, everyone says to us like, "Oh, how are the kids? How's how's work?" But not like really. What what is the state that you are in? Tell me about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what we heard, you know, from these women who we've known for twenty years, what we heard was so personal and so resonant that the that the process was it was really therapeutic and healing for us. And it was so personal for us that it, mm. it it was so meaningful to us that we just, we had to write about it, whether or not it resonated with anybody else, honestly. And the fact that it did post publication was, was made all, made the experience all the richer and more rewarding. Yeah. 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 And, and that's, you know, I was thinking about that because I was just with a bunch of my girlfriends and, you know, their kids are in high school or college, a little bit older and when someone says, how you doing? And they start talking, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they really want to get back to their story. <laughs> I, don't, I, was, I'm, I was joking. I'm like, are you going to let her finish? I mean, like, she really wants to tell you something. But it's not me. <laughs> they're just so busy. And everybody wants to get a word in. And no one's really listening. And they're waiting to get their word in. That To have the opportunity for you to just be hearing them and feel like, you know, they have validity. I mean, that's worth everything. <laughs> you know, everything. And not judging it too. That's what I love. No, absolutely. And that 
that basically, you know, that was one of our key findings in this book was that we're saying to, we said to our friends, they said to us, and we said to the women and, and I hope men too, reading the book, you are not alone in these years of your life and what's going on and how everything seems, it seems chaotic, even though it may be a controlled chaos, everything seems like such a jumble, but you're not the only one doing that. And everything that you're doing in your life right now is, is just fine. You're not doing anything wrong. It just is. That is the way, that's the way that these years look for a lot of women. And that is very normal. And just, just to know that, to, to feel validated about that, it can be incredibly valuable, as you said. And I love, like, I think it's the thing that I was missing, even because, you know, I do a lot of research more with health and well-being being my focus. And I just found every single time, most of them could move forward just because they talked about it. Like it made them be, like you said, you let them feel like, which I think is so important, feel good about the way they are. Don't say, which we all do. Most women do, especially ambitious women. Oh my God, that woman's doing that. Oh my God, that person's doing that. Or I mean, especially on social media, you can get caught up. I didn't do this. I should have known this. I didn't do this. Oh my God, she's asking. And you know that I'm sure you found that out with interviewing, but to say it's, it's good. This is where you are, but now you're bringing it more to the forefront. And what can you do to move forward to change that? And so when I'm looking at this, I can't wait. Like I didn't get your book yet. I've just been reading it online, but I did order it. It just didn't get here. I think it's going to be inspiring for to read authentic, real stories because you're going to find somebody you relate to. I I think you will, and I and I hope you do. Um, and thank you, um, thank you for getting the book. And I think that what's funny is somebody earlier on we talked to very early on before we wrote the book proposal. We met with one agent, um, and he was a man, and he. He wrote our proposal and he said, you know, I don't really, I don't really know if this is grabbing me. I mean, these women, they just, they aren't exactly superstars. I can't really see them being played by Julia Roberts in the movie. They just sound like women I know. And we were like, (laughs) well, exactly. (laughs) They are women you know. They're not all, not every single woman here is Serena Williams or Reese Witherspoon or Oprah Winfrey. They are, they're women that you know. And that's precisely, that's precisely has he read People magazine? I mean, it's not just superstars. What I wanted to target was 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 stories that other people could relate to to show them that they aren't alone. You know, that things that seem that may seem really mundane in your everyday life, but that you still struggle with that that that's valid and that's okay, and that you aren't the only one. And that was that was really that was a huge part of what we wanted to deliver in sharing these stories of these women that were our friends yeah. and still are our friends. Is there, is there one, I know there's so many, but is there one, I was, I wrote down a couple questions I have for you. Actually, I always ask some friends, like, what would you like to ask Liz? And so one of my friends is, was there an interview that you found most challenging? Like it was hard to hear or that you felt it was really difficult to, you know, to just sit there and, you know, not want to cry or get upset. There were, there were several Sandy, um, Okay, and, which will remain anonymous. <laughs> and Sandy's friend who asked that question. One, um, one that sprung to mind first was was a woman who was a, was a pretty close friend of ours in college, actually, and she went to law school really against against her choice, uh, against her will, against her desires. Her mother her mother told her she had to go to law school, 
And she went to law school because she was following up on her mother's dream more than her own. And she then decided she did not want to be a lawyer. And she decided she wanted to be a teacher. And she was getting her teaching certificate. And she had met her husband in law school. And they got married. And her husband applied for a job in the Foreign Service. And he was accepted. And they got stationed you know, overseas by, by definition as he would. And she, they were living in California at the time and she quit getting her teaching certificate and moved overseas where they lived for 14 years over three different assignments. And she was never able to teach overseas because she didn't get her teaching certificate initially in the States. And so she, she did a lot of volunteer teaching jobs. She did a lot of volunteer general jobs, but she never was able to have a career. And she told us that she would go to a party at the ambassador's home in, in one of the in one place that she lived in Central America, and she'd be talking to somebody at a cocktail party and talking for a few minutes, talking, talking, and finally this person would say, "Well, who are you?" And she couldn't just say, "Well, I am so and so, and I would like to be a teacher, and I am living here, you know, and I'm originally from so and so." And she said, "I'm I'm Kyle's wife," and. She had to identify herself as somebody's wife, and mm. that was really that was really difficult for her because she was an ardent feminist, and yet she had sacrificed what she had wanted to do for her the sake of her husband's career. And she also, you know, she got she got a wealth of travel and 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 an amazing <clears throat> life out of that as well. But she she really failed to to complete this thing that she really wanted to do, which was be a teacher and be paid for it and have a teaching career. And so the fourth time that we interviewed her, Sandy, which was actually about a year ago, um, they, the family got stationed back in the States. They, every three years, they, they come back to DC and she enrolled in a graduate program and she got her master's in teaching. And now they are back in another foreign country and she is teaching for pay. And oh. she, the first time that we interviewed her, I mean, I think we all hung up and cried because we thought this is like, this is like a dream unrealized. And she's, you know, it's been, it's 20 years later and she's still, she's still, you can tell she's like living with regret. And then she, yeah. she completed it. And it was so amazing that this was, um, this really illustrated one of our big themes, which was that, well, a, a micro theme was that just because you haven't realized all your dreams by 40 doesn't mean you still won't. And she went back and now she's, and now she's doing the, the, the career that she always wanted to do, Ugh. you know, which was amazing. Um, you know, there were other women who talked about their ambitions and how they really wanted to pursue this. They really wanted to pursue that, but they didn't think it seemed fair to their family and their husband mm. had a bigger job and they, they had a flexible job and the flexible job made it easy for them to be a present parent to their two young children and they couldn't ask their husband to um, scale back in his career at all. And and we could hear we could hear through the Skype call that they felt that they felt a twinge of regret that they that they hadn't gone full throttle on their ambition. And we, you know, and, and one woman we said through the phone, you know, you're saying you don't want this, but we actually think you really do want it. And we hope that you, <laughs> we hope that you yes. do it in some way, someday, if not right now. But you know, just because something doesn't feel fair to your family doesn't mean that doesn't mean that you don't still deserve to try to do it, you know, and that you, that you, that you have ambition and you have dreams too. And just because you make less money than your husband doesn't mean that your dream isn't valid. And um, so, yeah, we had a few and, you know, you mentioned um, being in tears. I think the first six interviews that we did, 
every single one of our subjects cried because, you know, we asked them, tell us about the last 20 years of your life and any regrets, you know, and many of them had great, great stories to share and great triumphs. But, you know, you look over 20 years of life and there's, it's not all happy moments, of course. Right. They were very, very personal. And some of them were very emotional, um, which, which, um, you know, made for incredibly rich storytelling, of course, and writing, but also, um, also just a lot of, a lot of extreme resonance and emotion exchange between us and, and our subjects. Um, so yes, like many, many of them had, had stories that, that made us feel like, oh my gosh, you have to do it now, or there's still time, you know? And, um, and another, you know, perhaps the biggest theme in our book, Sandy, is women have choices. Well, we all have choices, but that you have choices and that you, you may have made a decision that had, has really shaped and charted your course for the last 10 years, but that doesn't mean you can't make a different decision that charts a different course for your next 10 years, you know, that, that you can, that you can choose one of these paths and then you can decide, you know what, my kids are, my kids are a little older now and they, they don't need me quite as much in the same way that they did when they were eating Cheerios off the floor. And now, (laughs) you know, and now I really want to, I want to lean back in hard to my career or, you know, or I worked really, really hard for the first 20 years. And now I want to like take a job that's a little bit more chill and I maybe made plenty of money and I want to scale back on that. And I want to kind of be married and explore what that feels like for a while. You know, that was a, there was a woman who, who got married, who got married two years ago um, into her early forties for the first time. And she had, she had gone full throttle in the first 22 years of her career. And she said, you know, I might take a happy derailment now. I've gotten married for the first time and I kind of want to chill and enjoy my spouse and, and have some time together and really enjoy what that feels like to have, have my, have a family now, you know? You know, I, I love that when you were saying that, like you, you were saying how you went through the one interview, two interview, three interview, and you would undercover more and that, the people would say, oh, like how, how you were able to pick up through their voice that they said, yeah, yeah, they were happy with their choice, but you could tell, mm, maybe not. My question to you is, how much did you push that when you thought they really weren't being honest with themselves? Like, did you always just, you know what I mean, try to dig a little deeper or did you let them just roll? In the first I would say a handful of interviews. Um, we didn't, we didn't really push back. And then after about maybe five or six, when we got more comfortable interviewing people and we, we could sort of hear, you know, trepidation or maybe, maybe some ambivalence or a mixed message. And yeah, we would start to push back a lot more. And, and at least half the people we interviewed two or three times. And on the second and on the second and third interviews, the gloves really came off. We were like, what? yeah, you said you said this about economics and supporting yourself and you um you know to one woman we said she she had she had been a voice major in college and had really wanted to sing on stage at the metropolitan opera and that dream didn't work out for her and then she went into a career in financial services and she met her husband and she quit and she wanted to be married and have children and she had a bit of a turbulent childhood and she said you know i realized Stability was my number one ambition, which we just ah. we got chills hearing that, and it was incredible. And and she's in the book. She's in the book rather extensively um, in the chapter on economics, chapter five. But we did say to her, you know, um, Brooke, do you do you ever worry 
you know, what, what if you get divorced or you lose your husband and would you be able to support yourself? And she said, Oh, I don't think about that. You know, I worry about, he might like wake up and drop dead from a heart attack one day, but I never think about divorce, you know? And we were kind of like, well, you should not because, <laughs> not because we didn't think her marriage was going to last far. far. I know, I know, but still in all <laughs> we happy, but, but, you know, we said, you know, but the reality is, that if 50% of marriages end in divorce, you, you need to be somebody, especially like after your kids are graduated from high school or they're on to, they're out of the house, you, you need to make sure that you're, you're protected. And so we did, we did push back on a lot of people and, and on, and on a lot of ingrained assumptions that were really yeah. gender biased, you know, about women saying, well, I couldn't ask my husband to give up anything. He's so, he loves his career so much and he, He's worked so hard to get where he is. And we said, but you have too. And you, and you yeah. are too. And you are allowed to, you are allowed to push back on the things that you think in your life you can't push back on. Like nobody, there's no, there's really no like universal rule saying like, you're, you're not allowed to also have a happy career. You know, we, so we did, um, you know, especially toward, yeah. you know, toward the second interview, as I said, we, yeah, yeah. well, how many times did you, did, was everybody different or how many times did you interview each we, person? We interviewed, um, we interviewed everybody once we interviewed about a third of the people twice. And then in that third, um, maybe, maybe 10 of them, a third and a fourth time, um, gotcha. They had specific stories that we wanted to dig deeper on for further chapters. So yeah. we interviewed about about half the people. I would say twice. Um, yeah, that was for like you know for like a two to two to four hour period. Gotcha. Um, yeah. All right. So I just want to know because <laughs> how many husbands don't like you because all the women are like that's it. <laughs> I know sometimes when I'm going to get near my friends and and they want to change your career and, and it may make less money. They're like, don't you talk to Sandy. Don't go near her. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, we didn't interview any of the spouses, and I, I would actually love to because I feel like that would be a whole other book. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Yes. But we, um, I, I don't know. I have a, we had several. We've had several friends who came back to us. Got divorced. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, let's see. Three, three who, three who divorced. Um, <clears throat> two who already were in the process of divorcing while we were interviewing them, and one who divorced after we interviewed her. Not necessarily as a result of our interviews, but not. not, <laughs> okay. not well, that's good to know. Yeah, no, Sandy, we're just not. We're not trying to break up marriages one at a time here. But no, but, no I know. I get it. Was, um, what was interesting that that you know one of our subjects who has a stay at home husband and she's a pretty high powered exec. She said, "Oh, you know, I shared I shared your series and I shared your book with my husband, and he really loved it, and he thought it was so supportive of me and really our family the way that it is." And thank you for that. And um, you know, I, I think that if if anything, um, the women who the women who who had any sort of internal struggles, kind of maritally with with the way that their their work and the domestic the domestic work in their lives kind of fell along the, the lines of their marriage, along gender lines. The yeah. They, the fact that they were able to question that a little bit and talk about it, I, I think for the majority of them, that that actually was, was very empowering. And yeah, absolutely. And I think absolutely. being able to state that to their spouses, I think, I think was really constructive within their marriages. Actually, yeah. Very much so. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, so, 
Communication is key. Got to get it out there. Can't sweep it under the rug. All right. So now, because we could keep talking about this forever. And I just want to make sure, because this is my question. Who inspired you the most? Do you have one that was like, oh my God, that's freaking awesome. We, yes. So well, maybe there's more than one. There are more. There are, there are, there are a bunch actually. But so one, one that comes to mind was a woman who went to Northwestern as a film major her freshman year. And that year a professor told her, or maybe a visiting <clears throat> maker told her, you know, you guys are all film majors and I hope you have a trust fund because it costs a lot of money to make movies and it's really not, it's really not a sustainable career. And she, that same year, freshman year, she switched and became a math major. She graduated as a math major. She never stopped loving film and theater and she did theater and writing throughout her time at college, but did graduate as a math major. And after college, she did a bunch of different random jobs in the art. She taught theater at a, at a year round camp. She, um, did, she was a writer. She started doing screenwriting and she then also worked in financial services and met her husband there. And she ended up opting out as well and had three children and continued to write and write screenplays and pilots and all kinds of different things and fiction, things that she was passionate about while she was raising three children and her husband was working in banking. And um, a couple of years ago, her kids are in their teens now. A couple of years ago, she went back and got her MFA in film. This was somewhere in Chicago. And she decided she needed to start making, start making films and start writing screenplays. And she got a part-time job as a screenwriting professor, like for an online course. And about a year later, her husband, her husband's firm got sold and he lost his job and he'd been supporting our family for the entire time that they'd had children. So this is about 17 years now. And our friend said, you know what, this is my turn. And she ended up getting a tenure track position as a screenwriting professor. Ah! That's awesome. So for the first time, she, for the first time in 17 years, she works full time. She supports the family. She makes a lot less money than her husband did in financial services, but her husband is now taking this time and he's, he's almost 50. He's now taking this time to figure out what he wants to do next, you know, and he might want to be oh. a coach and he, you know, he never pursued being a coach earlier on because he didn't think he could make a living doing that, but he's made plenty of money in financial services. And now he's exploring something maybe a little bit more creative, maybe a little bit, a little bit more of a nonprofit kind of focus and she's working full time and they've completely switched roles. And I, we, that story was so inspiring to me because she has been on multiple different paths in her life and now has totally switched, has switched the ambition with her husband. And it was just such, such a victory. And she said, you know, now it's my husband's turn to think about what he really wants to do. I am, I am living my dream and I want him to be able to do that too. And I'm giving you oh, what's the best. I love that. That is an inspiring story. It's really beautiful. It's really beautiful. And, and also really, really showed, really telegraphed our theme that you can change up your path, even a decade or two decades into your career. And 100%. Absolutely. You know, 
and it is easier if you keep one toe in some industry, you know, you know this and you, you are a, you know, an independent contractor, I, you know, entrepreneur, I don't know what the right word of how you would describe yourself. It's whatever. <laughs> lots of different, but lots of different elements to your work life. Right. And so yeah, yeah. keeping some of those elements active, even if not all the elements all the time makes it much, much easier to kind of pivot. It does. It really does. I'm so glad you said that. All right. So, Liz, I have so many questions to ask you about Peloton and hot yoga, but I do want to ask this before I get off to that, because we got to finish up here and let's stay on topic, which is not easy for me, but what was the the one thing that you think really changed about the way you looked at things after you interviewed these people, after you wrote the book, what was the, is there any one thing that you can share wisdom and that inspired you that you, you now look at things differently after interviewing all these people and hearing their stories? Absolutely. You know, when I first started these interviews, I was what we named in our book, a, a scale backer or in our series, we call them scale backers women who had scaled back their work lives to lean into other aspects of their lives. And for me, it was to be, to be there to pick up my kids every day after school. And in, and in our book, we named this group the Flex Lifers and people who prioritized flexibility in their careers over professional advancement and more money because they, Ooh, I love those words Go ahead. so that they wanted to be, you know, more involved in other aspects of their lives. And I, when we first started this project, I felt kind of bad about that. Like I'm not doing enough work wise. I'm not, I'm not killing it. I don't have, you know, I'm not an editor in chief. I don't have a corner office. I'm not going into Midtown every day. I'm not, you know, I'm not taking home a six figure salary anymore. And I was, and I, and I felt a little like not enough. And after doing all these interviews and writing this book, what I realized was that this was, this was a life I didn't, I mean, I may have partly fell into it accidentally when, you know, when the downturn of magazines happened, but that this was, this was a decision and a life path that I, that I consciously carved out for myself. And this was, you know, I like working from home. I like being able to go to yoga in the middle of the day. I like being able to work for five different clients and not just one job from eight to six every day in, in a tower in Midtown. And that, that, what I realized was that ambition is not something that can be neatly contained in a box labeled career, but that if you are ambitious, if you are ambitious, which I, which I know you are Sandy, that, 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 that spills out into all avenues of your life, you know, and that, um, you know, for me, for me, that means I'm at the gym seven days a week and I, I'm not just happy to go to yoga, but I have to do um, Peloton and um, hot yoga and regular yoga and Pilates and Pilates reformer and running and weight training. But I also Oh my goodness, Liz. Oh, write for magazines. I also want to do advertising work and I also like cooking and I like making You're all in. You're all in. Yeah. So that what that I realized that was that my ambition doesn't have to look like everybody who's in the corner office. And then I get you. And then I felt a lot better about that afterwards. I know. Why can't we just know that from the beginning? Do you know how simple life would be if we go, I am enough and what I want, I can have and I deserve it and not to put other people first. Oh my goodness. All right. But anywho, so I just want to back up one second because I, I loved what you said there. Like what success is like, I love, by the way, I saw when you said someone said, what's happiness. It's like, 
Uh, there's 17 million ways to consider what happiness is. It's just such a broad term. And, you know, what brings somebody else happiness, you might consider hell. And like the fact that you said you're ambitious and that you go to the gym seven times a week, it sounds like you love working out where other people's just hate it, right? You like it. I do. And I, um, I like, I like a really varied routine. I mean, there's things that I like to do and I would do every day, but I know I have to mix it up. Um, yep. but you know, for me, I, I don't know if you feel this way too, Sandy, but I have my best days are when I, when I can get my workout in first thing in the morning and it totally, it totally changes my attitude. And even if I don't do it until midday, I rarely work out at night, but sometimes I go at lunchtime or, or right before yeah. I pick up my kids, but I can be, I can be in like the worst place or I can have slept four hours or maybe I had a couple too many glasses of wine. It doesn't matter what my state is in the morning. If I, if I can get in even 20 minutes of some sort mm-hmm. of something, and it might just be like, it might just literally be like walking or running a single mile on the treadmill, 12 minutes. Oh, I agree. Yeah. If I can get in just like this, even a smallest amount, um, it just totally, it totally flips my mindset and the endorphin, you know, and I know it's partly endorphins, but I know it's partly routine. And I know it's partly because exercise makes me feel better. And uh, it's scientific. It does. It's not in, in you know, yeah, yeah, you want to do it and your habit, but it's, yeah, it, absolutely. And it yeah. also, for me, it helps, it, it really helps manage anxiety. And I feel it, it just really helps me focus because I have a brain that goes like a million miles a minute. And sometimes if I just go into a hot yoga class and I don't think about anything else for that hour, I, I, I might go in and I'm totally scattered and I can't even sit still. And then I come out afterward and I'm like, okay, I can totally do the rest of this day. And I know now I know yeah. what my priorities are and it just really, it works for me. And it's, um, you know, what you were saying, Sandy, about how it's really hard for some people. I totally get that. And I, from so many years now have forced it into a part of my routine that I, yeah. actually, that I actually don't feel, I actually don't feel complete if I haven't done a teen, the tiniest bit of exercise in a day. Yeah. And you know what, Liz, I'm so glad you said that because some people will say, oh, those people are fitness fanatics and they, the fitter getting fitter. And it's true. And America's gone the other way. But my big message is even a few minutes will clear your head and make you feel different. It's not even about anything. Like everyone, Liz, every single person would feel less anxious and less stressed and have a clear attitude. My staff will tell you, first of all, I still teach classes. So when I go in, I only have to go into the city three days a week. When I do, I teach all the noon classes. They know not to tell me anything that's like until after the class. Like uh, we have a sticky Wiccan, they call them. If you say problem, you might as well just walk out the door. But you do say we have a sticky Wiccan or you have an area we need resolved, I got you. If you say you have a problem, like don't say she got a problem, she will fire you. Just say, hey, I need something to be. And they know to do it after class number one. But the thing that I do differently, and I tell people just move for five minutes. Before you go into a meeting, if you're not coming in with joy and I call love and strength and power, Go outside, walk around, come back in, run the steps. I don't care. I don't care if you walk into my gym and leave. But what I do every single morning is, even if it's only for a few minutes and it starts my day, I meditate before I even get out of bed, even if it's for a minute. I say, how am I showing up in the world? I don't wait for the world to happen to me. I pick a word. It doesn't take long. You don't have to meditate. It's great if you have your meditation routine. I meditate every single morning for a few minutes and I journal for a few minutes. And then I open my email and then I start my day and then I work out. So I don't, and then I listen to positive 
tapes in the car because I do a lot of driving. And I, I don't, I say to people, I don't know, man, I must have a lot of issues because for me to keep in that positive space, Liz, I have to do all that. And then, you know, I don't just show up, Pippi Skippy. I put the time in, Liz. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's work. You, you know, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, people who have clinical depression, that it's, that, 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 that's an easy thing to flip around. No, no, that's totally, you know, we're talking, this is just, you know, normal everyday stress. Yeah. For a lot of us, you know, choosing, but choosing to be in a positive headspace, that is a choice and you do have to work at it. And yep. I love that. I love that you meditate and I'm trying to meditate more and it's, it's so important. It's been so good for me and do more breathing. Well, I mean, it sounds like you might be doing it in your yoga, but when my friends say to me, Sandy, 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 and they're so anxious, we just had a friend of her. I don't, I don't, you don't understand. I have no time to meditate and I'll call her Sally. Cause I have no friends named Sally. Sally, you have to meditate. You have, you have to make time to meditate. If you gave me uh, 30 days, Liz, for five minutes of meditation, everything else would fall in place. You would have perfect timing. Your meetings would go great. You would be not as bitty. Just give me five minutes in the morning. And most people I can get, I can't still get Sally, Liz. I still can't. I said, give, if you give me 30 days and you meditate for five minutes in the morning, I don't care what it's while you're going to the potty. I don't care if it's in the shower. I don't care if it's lying and going, um, just give me five minutes to get rid of that negative chatter. I'll buy you dinner. Well, I got her there as long as I threw in two glasses of wine. So that's my challenge. Anywho, but I need to ask you about Peloton. Do you go to the classes there? Cause I snuck in there and I, you know, wanted to go in and I was like, Oh, I got to catch my train. Or do you do the, do you have the bike at home? I don't, um, neither. So I, I joined a new gym. Um, neither. <laughs> okay. I joined a new gym and they have, they have three Peloton bikes there. And so oh, okay. I, created, uh, I created a login and you can create a login for free. And so I just use the bikes. I don't have the shoes or anything. Um, but I do love it. And I follow all the instructors on Instagram now and they're amazing. Um, and they're, their lives, some of their lives look a little bit, you know, manufactured, but that's the way it is with a lot of people in fitness, as you know, but I know, but I like it because it's like, I like it because it is kind of like theater for me. And it's, I get the, I get some of the benefits of going to a group class without actually having to engage with other people if I don't feel like it, or if I can't make the time of the group class that day, because you can, you can do, um, you know, you can do classes on demand. Um, so sometimes if I can't make a live class, I will, I will go to Peloton and I love it. And they, some of, they even have 20 minutes of classes, which is amazing, but I really like it because, well, I've been, I've been spinning for, I've been spinning for almost 20 years, actually yeah. more than 20 years since I started spinning when I lived in DC and I love spinning. I love the spinning high Me too. and, um, you know, spinning feels like a nineties thing now, but I still love it. And I feel like Peloton, <laughs> the, you know, it's the, it's the iteration, it's the current day iteration of that. Um, so I love that, but I, but I do kind of feel like nothing beats being in a class with other people and the energy you get from a live teacher and other humans around you. So I, I would rather take an in-person class, but sometimes when I either don't have the time or, or can't deal or the timing doesn't work out, um, yeah. I, do, I do love my Peloton. So, um, yeah, well, I still teach spin. You got to come take one of my classes. We have That sounds amazing. Oh, and one thing I really quickly, Sandy, I wanted to add, it was just the, in terms of the three minute meditation, sometimes there's been days where I literally run out of time because I don't have enough to do where I don't have time to work out of the gym sometimes, or I just feel bad or I have cramps or I just have a headache or whatever. Sometimes I walk, sometimes I walk in there and 
go down to the locker room, take off all my clothes and take a steam, a five five minute steam and walk out. And I feel better, even though I didn't even work out, but I got out of my head, out of my house and I walked to the gym and I did the steam room and walked out. And even that, just getting into, getting into that space where I know my brain is going to be able to slow down. It is actually beneficial for five minutes. It sounds crazy, but it No, I'm so glad you said it. Thank you. And please, everyone do that. Please take Liz's advice because that works. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Liz. So we got to wrap it up. Is there anything you didn't get in that you want to add? Because we can put all your information and how to find you. But is there anything we didn't say that you want to get in? I, you know, I would just like to reiterate to your to your listeners and your people who take your classes and follow you that, you know, it's not too late to make changes in your life. And it's not too late to think about, you know, what your path is and what your ambition looks like and what, what you want it to look like, you know, and if you are not happy with the way that your ambitions playing out or whatever you want to call it, you know, the way that the way that your work and life and the balance of everything in your life, if you're not happy with the way that that looks, you don't have to stay in that, that you can, you can sit down and be like, Oh, you know, I think I'm gonna have my partner do more of this and I'm going to do more of this. Cause I actually, I actually kind of like hand washing dishes, but I hate doing laundry. So I'm going to have them do that. Or, you know, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go to bed an hour earlier and wake up an hour earlier so I can fit in 15 minutes of cycling in the morning, or I'm going to start doing more freelance writing. Just that, just that there are really minor things you can do like that you can start doing today. I mean, you know, this, this is such, so key in wellness and fitness that there's, that there's changes in your career and your work life and the way that things are balanced in your life that you can change literally today that don't, that seem, that seem so trivial, but actually that you do them day after day after day. And then suddenly it's been weeks and months and years. And then you, and then you have like a whole other side career, you know, and that may be where you choose to spend your energy, but it could be. And just that, just that micro decisions that you make in your life. Like we were just talking about, about meditating for five minutes every morning and writing your journal, that those micro decisions seem like not a big deal when you're doing them, but actually, but actually can have a huge impact on your life at the end of the day and the end of the year. Um, so that's kind of my big takeaway. I think I love that. All right. Well, Liz, good luck on Friday, October 12th. I'm excited for you. I'll be thinking of you at the conference and uh, hopefully we'll reconnect or I'll let you know I'm in New York all the time. I hope we could cook up or if you ever want to come to Weston and catch a workout, you're invited. I would love to have you. This has been a lot of fun. I could see we could talk for hours, but I really appreciate you taking the time and good luck with the book and freaking buy her book. You're going to love it. You're going to love it, love it, love it. And that's all I got, girlfriend. So everyone, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening. And remember, keep highlighting the positive this time. And let's keep it real. Highlighting the positive and inspire, especially yourself. Ciao.